Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brett Neerly and you're listening to A Current Affair here on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you in association with Leitrim Local Enterprise Office ahead of their Local Enterprise Week 2020 taking place from the 2nd to the 6th of March. More on that later in the programme. A couple of weeks ago, before all the general election madness happened, we invited Pascal Mooney of Ocean FM, former Senator and Leitrim County Councillor, to come in and have a conversation with us about all of the candidates running in the election and what their likely chances were of getting a seat in the doll. Now, things didn't quite transpire as we expected with the surge towards Sinn Féin. But what I did was I invited Pascal to come back in now that the dust has settled on the election to have a chat with us about where we went wrong in our predictions, but also in terms of what the mood is now across the country and what the political outlook is as we look to form a government and the impact it's going to have locally as well as nationally on our lives and the politics of the region. We caught up on Friday. Here's my conversation with Pascal. Pascal, welcome back. Thank you very much indeed, Brefney. Pleasure to be here. First of all, let me compliment you and your colleagues in Ocean because there was a range of different media outlets there over the weekend at the count, but I was particularly impressed with the work that Ocean did, the live streaming, and you were a major feature of that. (laughs) The radio commentary, the whole way through everything was just phenomenal. You really seem to have ticked all the boxes and you really gave it a fantastic... um, Well, thank you on behalf of all of my friends and colleagues. Um, It was a wonderful team effort. Um, it was um, a very proud experience. There were over 40 people involved, uh, many of them behind the camera and behind the microphone uh, that are in front of us that you didn't uh, know about. And uh, it was really a great, but thank you very much for the, uh, for the compliments. Yeah, no, I was, I was ridiculously impressed over the weekend. It was great to see the, the coverage you got. Now, in terms of the actual election, I don't think anybody could have predicted the way things panned out with Sinn Féin sweeping the boards. I don't even think Sinn Féin would have predicted the way things, even in the wildest dreams, they wouldn't have expected such a positive result. I agree with you, and um, I suppose it was a seismic, it is a seismic change, and uh, the political landscape in Ireland has changed, I think, irrevocably. Um, The the mood seemed to be that... um, a plague on Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, uh, there were the old parties. What surprised me a little is that the impression or the spin being put on it by those opposed to both parties was uh, this idea, oh, they've been there for nearly 100 years, as if they didn't really do anything good for the country. I mean, both parties built the country. Both parties contributed enormously to the, the wealth and success and prosperity and peace that we have on this on this island. And I'm just, that disappointed me a great deal, that this spin that was being put out there that, uh, oh, let's just dump them, get rid of them, they're irrelevant, they mean nothing. In, in, in countering to that is absolute mood for change. And that happens, it's cyclical in Irish politics. The, the spring's tide of 1992, when Fianna Fáil for the first time lost a significant number of seats and the general message being sent was they didn't want Fianna Fáil in government. Similarly, in, uh, after the 2011 election, uh, when Labour got 37 seats, again, there was the, uh, the surge in, in support as an alternative to Fianna Fáil for the Gael, and we've now seen the same. And I think the view is that, well, Sinn Féin are the only major party that have been in government, so we've tried everybody else, so let's give them a go. But the numbers don't stack up, let's be honest about it, because Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael combined have just under a majority in the Dáil, so 
for Sinn Féin to be in power without either of one of those two parties, either propping them up or in coalition, the numbers just don't stack up or it's going to be ridiculously difficult pulling all those independents together. No, you're together. quite right. And in fact, um, as you now know, Fianna Fáil have decided at a parliamentary party meeting that they will not enter into negotiations with Sinn Féin for the formation of a government, which uh, means that Fianna Fáil are now going to negotiate with other uh, parties to see if they can form a government. The impression seems to be conveyed from the meeting that Michal Martin is of the opinion that they have a, an obligation to try to form a government as the largest political party, notwithstanding the fact that they lost so many seats. Uh, my own personal view is that the people have rejected Fianna Fáil, they've rejected Fine Gael, and um, while it may seem to some, and I noticed the media in the last 48 hours has been saying that, oh, you know, in the national interest that people uh, involved in, in the party should form a government, Fianna Fáil acted in the national interest for four years by effectively, in a confidence and supply arrangement, maintaining political stability. What did they get for it? They got a kick in the backside. Not only did they lose the first, second and third preferences, but when I was going into the, uh, drilling down into the, the count, not only within this constituency, but nationwide, we didn't even get fourth, fifth and sixth preferences. So there was a great hostility out there to Fianna Fáil. And I think Barry Cowan said in the aftermath of it that the people had lost confidence in Fianna Fáil. I think he's right. Now, the Parliamentary Party have taken a decision. They're going to enter into negotiations with other parties to seek the formation of a government. But quite frankly, my own view is that we should be in opposition. That's what the people want. Um, but the alternative to that is the question that you've raised, that the numbers don't stack up for Sinn Féin and the other left-wing parties. But they could do it. Um, I mean, oh, no, they, they could they, do it. They do stack up on a, on a purely mathematical basis, but when you consider independents such as Marion Harkin, who would be very aligned to a Fine Gael background as such, in, in terms of that Michael Lowry the same, there's enough of them there that would come from that gene pool politically that wouldn't be seen as hard left or, or left-leaning politicians. Mm. They're going to struggle to keep them happy in whatever they plan to go forward with everybody bar those two major parties. Well, in fairness to Marion, uh, and congratulations to her on an outstanding achievement coming back from European politics to domestic politics, which doesn't happen that often in Irish uh, politics and Irish elections. Um, people who do very well at European level uh, tend not to do very well domestically. And I think Mairead McGuinness is a case in point, an outstanding European politician. But when she tried to get elected to the Dáil, even with all her popularity in Europe, she failed. And uh, there were farming leaders down the years that uh, were in Europe and then came back home and didn't make it. So it was an outstanding achievement for Marion. In the course of the various interviews that she did with us on Ocean, she made it clear that she was aiming towards forming some sort of a rural alliance among the independents. And we were naming uh, people like Michael Fitzmaurice, Sean Canny in Galway, um, Matty McGrath in Tipperary, uh, Verona Murphy in, in, in Wexford, and a number of others. So as to how that will pan out would be an interesting exercise. Uh, you're looking at maybe a block of five or six TDs that would be singing off the one hymn sheet who probably would be able to offer, as Shane Ross did with the Independence Alliance, offer stability to uh, a left-wing government based on their own agenda. But you're absolutely right. Of course it's going to be difficult with so many disparate forces involved. But the interesting development now is that Fianna Fáil it seems, have taken a positive view about going into government, where I was thinking that, based on remarks over the, the post-election period, that they would stay out. My own personal view is we should stay out. Is that, and I'm going to be a bit cynical here, but is that a Micheál Martin effort to not be the first Fianna Fáil leader to be elected Taoiseach? Who knows what's going on in Micheál Martin's mind? I mean, he hasn't spoken publicly 
since the election, other than to say that the people had spoken and he would listen. Um, of course, there's self-interest in every political party. Uh, it's all very well to talk about the national interest, but there's self-interest as well. And I suppose I'm veering towards a self-interested position by sort of looking at the medium to long-term future of Fianna Fáil as, as, a, as a, a force in Irish politics. Uh, I think that they have a serious crisis. I think that they lack um, front-bench talent, uh, and that's not their fault. The people elect who they elect. Uh, but when you look at those that might be putative leaders or high-profile front bench or ministerial people, um, I, I, it's, to quote Willie O'Dea famously saying a couple of years ago, he says, when I look in the mirror, I don't see a messiah. There aren't any messiahs out there. Um, and I, I think that we're, we're badly served by not having strong people within the front bench. And that may have been as a result of the confidence and supply arrangement where we were... We were of government, but not in government. And the people saw us as being nothing more than a case of Fine Gael, Tweedledee, Fianna Fáil, Tweedledum. And I think that, that they were punished as a result. Fianna Fáil were punished as a result. The government were going to be punished anyway. But I, I'm more concerned about the future of Fianna Fáil as a viable uh, party, either in government or opposition. And the country needs that. You've touched on something quite interesting from a local point of view, and that's possible ministerial candidates. There's a case to be made for each of the four successful candidates, and obviously the four, for those who haven't heard, have been living under a bush, are of course Martin Kenny of Sinn Féin topped the poll, Marion Harkin was elected on a later count, and then Mark McSharry and Frank Feehan of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, not quite respectively, but in opposites, um, were both elected uh, on without reaching the quota. There's a case to be made that whatever one of those parties or groups end up in government, that each of those four would have a probably a... a expectation or a hope that they might be included in those uh, ministerial or junior ministerial positions? If Sinn Féin were to form a government, I would predict that Martin Kenny would be in Cabinet. He's very articulate, very well informed, um, very high public profile. Um, Mark McSharry is currently a member of the Fianna Fáil front bench. He actually is the opposite of Shane Ross. He marks Shane Ross's portfolio in a very important um, position in transport and sport and uh, communications. Um, Marion Harkin, because of her vast experience, and again, if she was one of the, she would be a leader, I think, in that independent alliance that would be formed, and obviously the payback would be ministerial seats. And in the case of Frank Feehan, um, as Fine Gael have decided not to put themselves in the way of government, have said that they are going into opposition, uh, and I think that's likely well, then Frank wouldn't be yeah. considered other than maybe as a front bench spokesperson considering the reduced stature of the Fine Gael parliamentary party. So he would certainly have the experience, no question. But it, it augurs well for the region in terms of having somebody with influence if there's a government formed. Well, looking at the region in general, if you were to take the northwest and the border counties, um, I'm not sure what Brendan Smith's role would be in a future Fianna Fáil administration. Um, and Neil Smith would be a relatively new TD on the Fianna Fáil side. Heather Humphreys of Fine Gael opting out. Um, Sinn Féin, we're assuming, would not be in that mix-up. Uh, let's just, for, the, for argument's sake, say that they're not going to be in government. So uh, all of their successes along the border counties and in the region, in the northwest region, will effectively come to naught in terms of ministerial positions. So you're looking at, effectively, independence and Fianna Fáil in providing the ministers. Uh, Dara Caleri and Mayo... 
there's no Fianna, Fianna Fáil TD in Roscommon and I'd like to commiserate with Eugene Murphy, his wife is from Drumshanbo, Linda, so on a personal level, apart from the politics of it, um, I've disappointed, although uh, Eugene is going for the Senate and I wish him well, I think that he'll get elected too, um, uh, because of the need for Fianna Fáil to have a high-profile potential TD to get the seat back in Roscommon and of course the census is coming up next year which I'm sure will exercise your minds in the months ahead because it looks like there could be a change in this constituency which is one of the largest geographically in the country and the people in Donegal are not too happy but going back to uh, possible ministerial positions I don't think that there's too many Mac McSharry would seem to me to be the, in the leading role Now, I mentioned at the top of the show that today's show was brought to you in association with the local enterprise office in Leitrim. And they are putting together a fantastic series of events for their local enterprise week in 2020. It is titled Making It Happen and it runs from the 2nd to the 6th of March in just two to three weeks time. Now, there are plenty of activities taking place across the county for small and medium-sized enterprises who work with the local enterprise office here in the county. The SEO clinics on Monday in the Hive on the 2nd of March, they're already sold out, no more spaces available on that. The student awards take place in the Bush Hotel on Tuesday the 3rd of March, while the National Enterprise Awards, the county finals of that, take place in the Lamarck Hotel the following day on the 4th of March. How to Leverage Finance for Your Business is a session taking place in the Hive on Wednesday, the, sorry, Thursday, the 5th of March, while Made in Leitrim, a celebration of creative talent from all over the county in the association with the Design House is happening in the dock also on Thursday, the 5th of March. Finally, wrapping up the week on the Friday is Women Making It Happen. It's an event in association with a number of the other local enterprise offices from around the region, and that's taking place in the Mullingar Park Hotel. All the information on that is on localenterprise.ie forward slash Leitrim, and you can find their entire schedule on leitrimdaily.com forward slash events. Thanks very much for your continued support of the programme, and the very best of luck to you in your local enterprise week happening in early March. Let's talk about our constituency that we've just watched the election develop over the last few weeks. Who impressed you in terms of the the local candidates that were running in Sligo Leitrim? Which of them have... Who surprised you maybe the most? Well, the result uh, uh, surprised me with the fourth seat in that you have to applaud Frank Feehan, who stuck to his guns, um, who was seen strangely enough uh, from the outset as being the weaker of the two Fine Gael candidates despite the fact that he had had all that experience. It was based I think primarily on geography and on numbers in that Sligo had the largest preponderance of votes. Thomas Walsh, relatively new, young, fresh face in Fine Gael, uh, seen by Fine Gael people as the future of the party um, and that Frank had uh, difficulties in that, although he's living on the Strand Hill Road in Sligo for many years, he's from Boyle, was perceived to be a North Roscommon candidate, and that he had a smaller bundle of votes, and also one wasn't sure how he was going to do in Leitrim, even though I did subscribe to the view that he shouldn't have been written off with a Leitrim vote. He got 2,500 votes in the old Roscommon South Leitrim constituency as a TD, and they hadn't gone away. Um, what also impressed me was that when Shane Ellis was eliminated, he got nearly 500 
transfers, which usually is unheard of traditionally, that there would be such a significant number of uh, party votes going from Fine Gael, going from Fine Fáil to Fine Gael, and equally from Fine Gael to Fianna Fáil. Uh, but that's indication of the change that has taken place. I think that people recognise Frank's contribution. Uh, so I, he, of the four, he would have impressed me because he ultimately got elected to a seat that even I had said in a previous uh, podcast with you, Breffney, that Fine Gael would struggle. In terms of the candidates that didn't finish in the in the Dáil seats, did anyone stand out to you as having ran a particularly good campaign and maybe the final figure surprised you in any way? I think that Eamon Scanlon ran an extraordinarily good campaign um, against the odds and against the tide. He increased his first preference vote over the last election by over 400. Um, sadly, it wasn't enough. Uh, conversely, Mark McSharry's vote dropped. Now, in fairness to Mark, he was up against some real political heavyweights in Sligo Town where he had the bulk of his vote on the previous occasion. And there was also the loss of Cavan, where he got 400 votes in Cavan. And there was also the reduction in Shane Ellis's Fianna Fáil vote in Leitrim. All contributed to that. Um, but I think Eamon Scanlon ran an excellent campaign, and that's all the more sad for him and for Fianna Fáil, particularly in South Sligo, who now, for the first time I think in decades, don't have a TD of any colour. Uh, so he would have impressed me. And I, I mean, topping it um, would be Marion Harkin. I mean, Marion Harkin, not only did she manage to generate a significantly impressive first preference vote, but right through the, camp, the count, she was so transfer friendly. I mean, the number of votes that she picked up from all sides of the political spectrum and from none was hugely impressive for an independent. Now, uh, traditionally, independents do tend to be transfer-friendly. But remember that the quota was over 12,000, and Marion had to make up nearly 6,000 votes on transfers. An extraordinary achievement, absolutely extraordinary achievement. It was so consistent. And it wasn't just about mild trans or small transfers. They were quite significant, particularly when Gino... um, Boyle was, was eliminated and Declan Bree eliminated in Sligo. I mean, she pulled the biggest share of the transfers. Considerably the biggest share. Well, yeah, did, absolutely. Yeah. So oh, apart from to each other, because Gino yeah. and, and... Well, that they went to the message which seemed to have resonated across the country, <coughs> not just here, was uh, vote left and keep left. And uh, that's where I think Fianna Fáil suffered in terms of the later transfers. In terms of the Leitrim, specifically Leitrim geographical region, we can now haven't had a period in our history where we had no representation in the Dáil. We now have a fairly strong um, kind of representation from potentially three candidates, if you want to look at it. Frank Fian would have a very mm. large mm. Um, profile in Leitrim and, and would have represented the area in previous um, Dáil um, elections. He would have been elected. Marion Harkin, of course, linked to Manhamton, lived there for, for many, many years. And, and Martin Kenny, where can Leitrim really take advantage of having this probably we've out um we've overstretched our our population effectively in terms of representation oh, we're, we're now over represented yeah we're punching dog. above our weight politically That's the and, and i think i think i think that the the three um all four uh, of the candidates um will have a focus on on Leitrim frank because of what we've discussed already is the share of his vote um marion because of the Leitrim connection martin because he's from Leitrim and Mark, Mark McSharry's mother from Leitrim? Um, no, from Roscommon. Okay. And um, Mark, uh, with such strong, and his father has such strong uh, Leitrim connections and did well in Leitrim. So, um, yeah, I think that the four of them will work very well together. And it'll be about 
um, prioritising what is needed to improve issues in Leitrim that they would agree on. For example, I think the improvement of broadband facilities, all of them will subscribe to that. Um, more investment in jobs, uh, I think they will all subscribe to that. And specifically uh, that the IDA would be more exercised in ensuring that there would be guests, that there would be visits by potential industrialists into this region. Um, I think that that's going to be a help. And the fact that Mark coming from the largest urban base in the constituency will be a plus as well because it will be seen as a magnet. It should be a, an attraction for people on the jobs front. Um, on the other national issues such as health and, and uh, homelessness um, and those specific issues, I don't think there'll be any difference of opinion between all of them. I think they'll want to get action seen to be done on those issues as well. So I think, generally speaking, that the people have made a wise choice in that there will be very little separate, despite the party ideologies, there'll be very little separating the four local TDs from the issues and the priorities that most voters have identified with uh, in, the, in the election. We might just party by party go through the national picture in terms of how each party did. Um, let's get a kind of report card as such in terms of, of the parties. But start with the one with the most seats. Fianna Fáil, your own party. Uh, how do you think they've performed on, on a national level? Oh, abysmal. Uh, it's been an absolute disaster for Fianna Fáil uh, electorally. Uh, here was a party that was deemed, was 12 points ahead at the beginning of the campaign from Fianna Gael, were expected to pick up 50-plus seats. All of us subscribe to that view. But as I said at the outset, what destroyed Fianna Fáil was not just the Sinn Féin surge, but the fact that people rejected them right down the ballot paper. Uh, traditionally, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would have been the parties that would have picked up the fourth and fifth seats. I'll give you one specific example. Mary Fitzpatrick, a Dublin city councillor who stood several times in the past, who was the, uh, who, who Bertie Ahern and his machine ostracised and excluded when she was the third candidate in the, the Dublin Central constituency down through the years. Now she suddenly had broken free. Not only was she contesting the same constituency, but it was now a constituency that went from three to four seats and geographically part of our Dublin City Council area was coming back in to Dublin Central to expand that to a four-seater. She had everything going for her. And in fairness to Mary, it wasn't her fault. She didn't get the preferences. She got a good first preference vote, was in there fighting for a seat. But when it came to the latter stages of the count on the third, fourth, fifth, sixth seat uh, preferences on the paper, she didn't get them. Um, and even with Mary Lou's transfer. Traditionally, there might have been a certain empathy with Sinn Féin voters to transfer those who did to, to Fianna Fáil rather than Fianna Gael. They didn't transfer to either party. They, they kept it left. And as a result, Mary lost. And that, that happened across the country to a variety of seats. Fiona Lachlan in, in, uh, in Kildare, Frank O'Rourke, of course, who was Kesh Carrigan originally, lost out. Again, it was down primarily not just to their the share of the first preference vote, which would have been slightly down, but it was the later preferences that uh, that effectively screwed Fianna Fáil's chances of getting that 50-plus seats. So that, I think it's been a disastrous election for Fianna Fáil. Was it a mistake to run three candidates in Slagley? No. Traditionally, that was always the case. There, there would have been an uproar within the Fianna Fáil organisation in, in Leitrim if they hadn't run a Leitrim-based candidate. 
and uh, there was always a Sligo town and a South Sligo candidate. Fine Gael adopted the same strategy, generally speaking, as well. Um, if we hadn't run a candidate in Leitrim, I think Martin Kenny's vote and Marion Harkin's vote would have been substantially higher. In terms of Fine Gael, are we talking the same kind of... Oh, before you feel full, Micheál Martin, your own verdict on that, should he consider his position? as? Oh, the absolutely. I think that is, uh, he's time-limited at this stage. Um, he, may, he may be successful in, in forming a government with Fianna Fáil in the lead, uh, but I don't think it'll last the full term. And I think there is a general consensus within Fianna Fáil that he won't fight the next election as leader of Fianna Fáil. Although one caveat is that one TD was quoted today as saying, let's not... Uh, you know, dump the leader without looking at the alternatives. Uh, who do we have? And that's a major problem, irrespective of what we've been saying about their electoral disaster. It's a major, major problem that hasn't been addressed by Fianna Fáil as to, as to the talent pool within the party. Now, it's possible that the four years of confidence and supply uh, uh, didn't allow them to develop. But at the same time, if you're in opposition, you're not, we weren't in government. Fianna Fáil, I say we, I'm not part of it, but Fianna Fáil weren't in government. And to me, they should have been a bit more opposing. And certainly when the health or when the homelessness issue became dominant um, and the housing issue became dominant, I think we should have pulled the pin earlier. And yet, what do we do in the national interest because of Brexit? Did the people care about the national interest? Didn't give it two figs. And as a result, they have a real problem. That's why, and I don't want to be sounding gloomy or pessimistic, I'm just stating what I believe is a reality. The context of Fine Gael, Fine Gael as the outgoing government were unpopular. Um, and there were question marks about Leo Varadkar's ability. Was he a spin doctor or was he doing the business? Um, they tried to um, highlight what they believed were important issues from a national perspective. Brexit, for example, the international... Um, relationship that they had in, in the European context. I think people were just sick of that though. Well I don't think they cared and also of course the Northern Ireland issue where they uh, were very heavily involved and one was compliment Simon Coveney and uh, Julian Smith and I'm so sad to see that Boris Johnston has dumped, dumped Julian Smith I mean he, he's an outstanding politician and he would have he would have brought out I think he would have brought a progressive as he had already shown over his short period there progressive uh, development to events in Northern Ireland and North-South relations and I don't know who they're going to appoint now that we'll know by the time this podcast has gone out but it'll probably be some other anonymous Tory backbencher plucked into to give them a job to, that that slavishly follows Boris and will do what he tells them it's that's the sad reality of the Tory majority you know you're, you now have a concentration of power in Downing Street uh, that's not good for democracy but that's for another day and for another debate uh, so in terms of Fine Gael, they had a lot not going for them. There were a lot of negativities and they, th there was an inevitability as the campaign went on that they were going to suffer. However, in fairness to, to their front team, uh, they pulled it back a bit in the last week. But I think that they pulled it back because Michal Martin wasn't performing as much as anything else. Uh, anyway, they, they are going into a period of opposition. I don't worry for them as a political party going forward. I think that they've they've got it all right in, in the overall context of things going forward and I don't think that they will that they've engendered or the same hostility even though they lost more seats than we did I, I just have this feeling that that the target was Fianna Fáil and in maybe because we've been in government or they've been in government since the foundation of the state more than any other party maybe that's what's engendering the hostility also the fact that they are now 
you know, blamed for bringing the country down and creating enormous personal problems for people. Uh, all of those factors, I think, were, were part of the thinking with voters going into the polls. And therefore, they have a lot of rebuilding to do. Have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael lost touch with particularly the younger portions of the electorate, say anyone under the age of 40, 45? Mm. I think the marriage equality referendum, the, um, the pro-choice, pro-life referendum, the abortion referendum, uh, they were very vocal on, on the status quo side when that really wasn't the prevailing view in most of the younger generations across the country. Well, in fairness to Michal Martin, he and a number of other um, front bench spokesmen took the more liberal view on those issues, on both the same sex and on um, abortion. Uh, but unfortunately, the vast majority of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party were opposed to it. And I think that that message was getting through to that younger electorate, that Fianna Fáil, despite the leadership initiative and the leadership position, and the fact that he brought his party with him, um, somewhat kicking and dragging into the modern era in that sense, if, if that is your view, um, I don't think that it resonated. I think the opposite. I think that the younger people uh, saw Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil Gael as being conservative, old hat parties. But keep in mind, we have a very young population, and traditionally young people are that bit more radical. I mean, I, lived, I emigrated to London when I was 18, 19, and the first time I voted and the second time I voted was in London, and I voted Labour. Um, uh, because I, I was more, I still think I am more left of centre anyway in my politics, but that's neither here nor there. But I'm just saying, as a young person, um, I gravitated towards left of centre, rather left wing, rather than centrist or right wing policies. Before we leave Fine Gael, completely the leadership question for Radcar, should he stay or should he go? Oh, I think the people are comfortable. I think Fine Gael are comfortable with Leo Varadkar as, uh, as leader. Um, I, particularly the parliamentary party because remember they were the ones that uh, led the charge to ensure that he was elected whereas it was the grassroots of Fine Gael that supported Simon Coveney and I'm sure that there is that tension that's still there but in the aftermath of an election defeat I don't think the leadership issue will be raised and it certainly hasn't to any great extent I mean there's been nobody coming out of the woodwork in Fine Gael around the country you know like local activists or anything say, making expressing any opinion about him any opinions that have been expressed about his future have come from the from the TDs, uh, all of whom, I think, without exception, have said that they're quite comfortable with them. And even as late as the prime time debate the other night, uh, I think the TDs that were on said it wasn't an issue. So I don't think it will be an issue short term. I don't need to ask you that question when it comes to Labour because Brendan Howland has already mm -hmm. made his announcement he's going to step down as the as the leader of the Labour Party. A very very poor election for them. You mentioned they had 37 seats in 2011. Nine years later, seven. Now six. In fact, I think they were blessed. I, I was given them two or three seats. I think they were blessed. And I think that they were helped by the left-wing surge, you know, vote left, keep left. Because when it came down to the later preferences, they, they managed to have enough first preference votes to stay in. And once that the preferences started coming out, they were getting them in the overall in, in various areas, as indeed with the, the Social Democrats. So I think that they were blessed in that regard. It'll be interesting to see what will happen. The received wisdom would have been that Alan Kelly would have been, I'm not so sure uh, now that, uh, that it will be Alan Kelly, because I think there was fierce resistance within the party to him. Um, and it may now come from Jed Nash or from Aino Reardon, uh, who may step up to the place in that regard. I'm not sure what Sean Sherlock would do. I don't think Sean, lovely man, very able, very efficient politician locally and nationally. He was a junior minister during my time in the Senate. Um, not so sure that he has leadership qualities. 
uh, O'Riordan might be a bit too aggressive in his, in his manner and his image for the grassroots of the party. Uh, Jed Nash uh, did very good work when he was in the Labour um, ministry. He was the man that had the uh, minimum wage commission uh, that set up and he pushed that through. Labour just seemed to be in a complete mess. Well, Sinn Féin, I think, is avowed agenda is to maybe wipe out Labour as a political party, and I think that that's who they'll go after uh, in electoral terms. But, uh, but it would be a shame because Labour has such a proud tradition. Uh, it's rather interesting looking back at the, the, uh, founded the early years of the state. When Fianna Fáil came into government in 1932, it was helped by Labour, the Labour Party. It was a Labour-Fianna Fáil coalition, even though it's generally looked back on as being a Fianna Fáil government, but it was Labour that were involved with them at the time. Let's quickly go through some of the people who had good elections. We've touched on Sinn Féin a lot, but they've got to be delighted. Do, are Sinn Féin even aware of, of why this has happened? Was it by design or was it just the mood of the nation just swept everybody up in that left? Well, it's pretty obvious from what they've been saying that they weren't expecting this uh, and that their strategy was at the beginning of the election to um, modestly increase their seats, uh, firstly to hold on to the ones they had and modestly increase their seats. And I don't think they saw it coming because their election strategy was geared more towards an acknowledgement of what had happened with them only six months ago in both local and European elections. Remember the last over half their councillors? I think there's been four or five councillors who got only a handful of votes in the local elections, uh, now got thousands Thousands of first preferences. There was one guy in Wexford, 500 votes in the locals, yeah. 18,000 in the... Yeah. Like, that's not a personal vote. Yeah. yeah. If, if we find oh, ourselves... Oh, it was a brand. It was yeah. a, went after the brand. But if we find ourselves back in a situation in, say, six or eight or ten months' time where we're back in the Sligo Park counting votes again, will that stand? Will that stay? It will only stand if Sinn Féin were to be in government because, remember, people, a lot of, a lot of instances, I would suggest, voted for them to put them into government. So if they're still out of government, and there is a government, well, then they're opposition. So their message will still be potent and still be relevant, unless that the, um, the new parties in government um, address very quickly the issues that are, uh, that are exercising the minds of the people. And uh, irrespective of the outcome, it, from looking at what Fianna Fáil have now decided to do in negotiating, the government that will emerge will be a left of central government. Almost certainly it will be a left of centre government and it will be a more radical government. And, you know, that's nothing strange to Fianna Fáil, in fairness to them. I mean, when they came into power first in 1932, they were seen as nearly like the devil incarnate. Remember, ten years earlier, they had been opposing the foundation of the state against the institutions of the state. They went into a civil war. Uh, and yet, ten years later, former gunmen were now in, in power. Now, I know it's different times, but um, in, what happened was, following that election... It was a very radical programme of government that Fianna Fáil introduced. Very radical, very left of centre. They went into massive house building at a time when they had very little money and they generally had very radical policies which scared the living daylights out of the establishment at the time. So it's just a bit of a rerun. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun in politics and Sinn Féin are kind of maybe reflecting that change at this moment in time. But if they don't get into government in order to implement their policies, they may suffer electorally. And they particularly would suffer if, as I'm suggesting, as will be a left-wing government that probably might take some of their policies and implement them, in which case the people might say, well, you know. And there is one other factor. I think that Sinn Féin have been done enormous damage with the antics of David Cullinan down on Waterford singing about up the Ra. 
uh, Desi Ellis with his Come Out the Black and Tans in Dublin, Pauline Tully's people in, in the Cavan with similar uh, IRA songs, uh, Need in the Sligo Count, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it kind of gives an insight into their thinking, as you will know when the Mark Kelly's like the Sang a Nation once again. I mean, in this day and age, that's all about the past. Really. I mean, uh, now people might argue when well, a nation once again is an aspiration. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the, the culture... It was number one in the UK, wasn't it, recently? It was, yeah. But I'm saying the, the Black and Tans one, yeah. Oh, sorry, that was, yeah, yeah my black. apologies. Yeah. But I'm just saying... Well, a nation once again was another Jimmy's job well, back I, in the day. It won the best song of the millennium. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, to be honest with you, I believe it should be our national anthem. <laughs> it's more than anything. But anyway, that's not, I'm only just saying about the culture within Sinn Féin that generates that sort of reaction... When it wasn't needed, especially when Sinn Féin and Mary Lou Macdonald and Pierre Stoherty in particular, and Owen O'Brien, are trying to move their party away from the past into the future. And as a result, they managed to persuade a huge swathe of young voters that the past didn't matter. The killing and the bombing and the mayhem that went on didn't matter. It was of no consequence, no relevance. It was like, oh, that was then. And yet people don't seem to understand, and those young generation need to understand, first of all, democracy is a very fragile flower, but peace on this island is an equally fragile power, uh, an equally fragile flower. Uh, you've only got to see what happened with these bunch of dissidents planting bombs on the ferry uh, that, and, and trying to kill the, the um, PSNI and putting up posters threatening Michelle O'Neill and Jerry Kelly of Sinn Féin. So they're out there. And I think young people need to understand that they have to nurture peace, that the peace dividend in this country has to be worked at all the time, and they just can't ignore history. And they have, and it's fortunate. That's the unfortunate side aspect of this election. Many of them seem to have ignored history. Yeah, and I suppose um, from speaking to teenagers in the last couple of weeks, uh, they seem to be unaware, or like you said... Well, they should read it up. I mean, they shouldn't be ignorant. Not in this day and age, not living on the island of Ireland, not with the ongoing development of north-south relations, the, the stability surrounding the Northern Ireland Assembly, the east-west relations, what the future relationship between Britain and Ireland. All of these factors are now important to that younger generation because they are the inheritors of Ireland. They're the people that are going to be running this country, both politically and, business, and in business. And as time, if they're, if, they're not, if they're ignorant of the past, there's an old cliche that says those that ignore the past are condemned to repeat it. Finally, let's look at some of the possible coalition partners for Sinn Féin or Fianna Fáil uh, in that left government that you spoke about, the Greens, Social Democrats, People Before Profit, there's a group of independents there, there's a loan in to representative too in terms of, um, oh, the name escapes me, you know, Pader, Pader Tobin. Pader Tobin. Um, wh where, who's, who has performed well and who'll be happy with their lot? Because people were expecting 15 or 16 seats for the Greens. They ended up with just the 12. Um, will they be happy with their election? Oh, I'd say they're ecstatic. I mean... I, I better would... mention as well, Roderick O'Gorman is uh, of Leitrim descent. He's a second cousin oh, yeah, of mine. Oh, Kilkenny. Uh, no, he's um, oh, Dublin no, West. He was Dublin in, West. Sorry. Yeah, he was yes, in yes, Radcliffe's yes, constituency. Yes. Uh, he's a long-term Green Party yeah. member, but uh, he, his grandparents would be from FINA, from... Um, the, I suppose they're, they're second cousins and first cousins. His dad is his first cousin of my mother. Very good. Yeah. Great Leitrim connections all over the place. They'll be delighted. I mean, they are now, they're a force within the political system in Ireland. They will be a, a force for influencing the new government. Uh, let's go back to the numbers. Uh, 38 Fianna Fáil, 12 Greens, that's 50. Labour has said that they won't engage. Six uh, Sock Dems, that's 56. Um... And you can take it that the left-wing solidarity people before profit won't engage. 
so you're looking at 56 and then that's a long way from 80 a long way from 80 so I, I'm not sure how that's going to work out would Fine Gael return a confidence and supply no they've ruled, that to, out. they've ruled it out and they've said they're going into opposition so uh, the, the best day for, for that sort of amalgam of the Fianna Fáil dominated government would be for Fine Gael to abstain um, on, on an issue by issue basis uh, but be the opposition and then you would have of course a very strong resurgent Sinn Féin who would be the main opposition party they would be the main opposition party in fact Mary Lou Macdonald by convention would be the leader of the opposition so um, it's a real problem I mean it's all very well for Fianna Fáil to say they're going to enter into negotiations but if the numbers don't add up so it would seem to me on the face of it that they will all fail and we could be back with another election when would you expect that to happen? How long will that oh, process take? Oh, it will go on take? forever. It seems that constitutionally that the caretaker government can stay in power for as long as. There is nothing to constitutionally inhibit them from staying in, in power, but they are a caretaker government in the real sense. So what it means for listeners... Is still Taoiseach. Yeah, what it means for listeners is that the current Fine Gael cabinet will continue to run the country, govern the country, but they will be very limited. In fact, they will, it will be impossible for them to pass any legislation it certainly would be almost impossible for them to uh, pass any legislation that involves money, the taxpayers' money, uh, because they won't have the power to do it. So unless that there's an agreement within the House to allow certain bills to go through, it's most unlikely. And traditionally, there's never been legislation passed with a caretaker government, but we're in changed times, we're in very unusual times. And the last time it took seven weeks, I have a feeling that, that uh, it'll be a bit like Israel as currently constituted, they can't form a government. They've tried. Their president has called in the two major parties who have tried to negotiate with other parties. Many, it's, a, it's a little like a mirror image of Ireland. There's a plethora of minor parties in the Israeli political setup, uh, similar to here, and they haven't been able to square the circle. They're, just, they're falling short of six or seven members in order to form a majority government. And the same is, is, in my opinion, is going to happen here. Where is it going to come from, Breffney? Let's go back on it for again. People might be confused with figures. Fianna Fáil on 38, Greens on 12, that's 50. Labour are out. So, Social Democrats on 6, that's 56. And then you have... Uh, that Rural Alliance, those TDs that you spoke with, Martin Hart. Well, yeah, Park, maybe six. a half a dozen. That's 62, 63. Still a long way off 80. But now... An, uh, Abstinence from Fianna Gael would effectively give them a majority plus the fact, left. Plus the fact that independents traditionally are like Turkish, they don't vote for Christmas. So independents, once they're back in the doll, they want their seat will, Yeah, they will not want to run another election and they really want to be pushed very hard. Maybe the Haley Rays might be an exception because they believe that they'll win any election they run for. <laughs> but <laughs> they put the money with them out. Yeah, but not everybody else would be in a similar fortuitous position. And tradition, like they have the resources. I mean, it must have cost a small fortune to, to, to fight general elections. And they don't have the resources that parties have. So the last thing they will want is to be involved in another early election. So the chances are that they might go along with, on the basis that um, we're not going to oppose the proposal to have a minority government. But it will, they will reserve the right, because they're a disparate group with different agendas, they will reserve the right to vote down the vote against the government. So therefore, Fine Gael's position within the new dispensation uh, would be crucial. They would be the yeah, people the that would decide on whether the government that's formed stays there or doesn't. And it wouldn't be a confidence and supply arrangement. It would be a minority government relying on the will of the Dáil to decide on whether they go forward 
but it doesn't, in my opinion, lead to stability. No, it sounds like the least stable thing. But what other option is there going to be? What other option is there? The other option is Sinn Féin, who would, by the way, be in a similar position, and in my my estimation would be in a stronger position, numbers-wise, because they would have more to call on. They would have maybe a half a dozen more seats. Yeah, I think they'll have a half a dozen more seats to call on. So the game isn't over yet by a long shot. Realistically, will we be back counting votes again very soon? My instinct is that it's going to be very difficult to form a government. And if there's a failure to form a government, uh, and there'll be a lot of shadow boxing and dancing around it going on for weeks and weeks. But it could come to a head sooner rather than later, because the last time out, there was indications that there was a genuine desire to form a government between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I don't mean them together, but both parties were anxious to form a government. But the numbers have changed dramatically since the last time. And the numbers don't, it's a numbers game. The numbers don't add up. But on, it seems to me that there will be an attempt made by both Sinn Féin, who are currently trying to, and by Fianna Fáil now to try and form a government. But I think ultimately they won't be successful. And it may end up that you have a caretaker government for maybe month, six weeks. Because I can't see why it would be delayed. I mean, the, the numbers are there. We know what they are. I can't see why it would take seven weeks as it did the last time. The reason it took seven weeks the last time is that this idea of confidence and supply came into the political agenda and it became the centrepiece of the discussions. And then it worked out what the programme, how they were going to do it. But that is not a factor this time. So what is the, that factor is missing. The only, the only agenda now, the only dominant view is the formation of a government with a, an agreed programme. What goes on now, because there's three essentially quarters of the doll in those three parties, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, each have relatively, give or take one or two votes, the same number of seats in the doll. The obvious thing from outsiders looking in is that any two of those go together with one or two smaller groups uh, to form a coalition. What's the chances of Fine Gael backtracking on their decision to go into... I think it's highly unlikely. I think they've taken, they've set out their stall, they've taken their position, they accept that they've lost the election and that the best thing for them, they actually are taking a party interest subtly uh, under cover of a national interest. I mean, there's been no talk about Fine Gael, you know, being asked to get into a government formation in the national interest. It's Fianna Fáil, and that's only because they have two more seats than Fine Gael, it seems to me, or it might be some other agenda uh, to push Fianna Fáil in that direction. But Fine Gael, to me, are sitting pretty, relatively speaking, in terms of the going forward, in that they have decided they're going into opposition, they're not going to involve themselves in negotiation with government, uh, and it's therefore going to be left to Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil, and as I've outlined, the numbers don't stack up. What would you think would be the effect in a general election if one rolled around again in, say, five or six months' time? I think that the left surge would continue. The chances are that it may, it may improve, on the basis that people have had their appetite wetted. Uh, they have dipped their feet in the water by giving such an enormous vote, not just to Sinn Féin, but to left-wing candidates. And they may still maintain the view that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael shouldn't be in government and uh, won't vote for them. Now, there could, be, there could be subtle changes in that, in that as the negotiations progress and as Fianna Fáil perhaps become more acceptable in terms of what they're, the platform they're laying out there, that may attract people. Um, but also keep in mind, general election, elections are really a snapshot in time. The mood changes. The perfect example, six months ago, Sinn Féin were on their back. So six months. And what changed in the meantime? What, none of the issues changed. Homelessness, health, housing were as strong an issue last May, June as they were 
in January, February. And yes, yes and yes, and yes, look what happened in the meantime. And what those, changed people's minds? those mind? issues, there hasn't really been a major um, turn. No, nothing. The, yeah. Um, so, so what people changed people's were, minds? People who weren't performing then weren't performing now and vice versa. So and and Labour, for example, to take one statistic, I remember Brendan Howland saying that even though they didn't win a seat in the four by-elections before Christmas, that their share of the vote in the four constituencies was 14%. And yet they were down to 4 and 5%. And that was in, what, two months? So what changed? What was it that motivated people to do what they did? We'll have to leave that to history. Absolutely. Well, listen, Pascal, we've run out of time ages ago, but you're just so knowledgeable on all things politics. You're very kind. We wanted you're very to have kind. You in. Well, I hope it added to people's <coughs> knowledge. I mean, neither of us have a monopoly on wisdom in this regard because we're staring into a crystal ball, and uh, the crystal ball isn't coming up with anything very clear. It's a bit clouded. Absolutely. Pascal, thank you so much for joining My me. pleasure. And that was the conversation I had with Pascal Mooney about the fallout from General Election 2020 and specifically about the Sligo-Leitrim constituency. As always, a fund of knowledge and a fantastic resource to have in the community for someone who can explain it in really simple to understand words what we hear on the radio and on the TV each and every night as we look to form a government in this country over the next couple of weeks and hopefully not months. Pascal Mooney, former senator, former county councillor here in Leitrim and former chairman of Leitrim County Council, thank you very much for your expertise. This show was of course sponsored by the Leitrim Local Enterprise Office ahead of their local enterprise week in 2020 from the 2nd to the 6th of March. And I'll be back tomorrow looking back at a pretty storm-affected weekend of sport, but more on that tomorrow. Talk to you then.